0: 2018, Earth and Internet. Hello, Mike Erie here, Andy Bear here. Um, we're coming at you from the Vox World headquarters in San Juan, suburban Columbus. Wow, San we're, Juan, we're... Columbus.
1: Yes, St.
0: <laughs> John, Columbus. So, so we have a St. John's Arena. So oh, see, well, San there you Juan, go. we have San Juan uh, Arena. I don't know how you say arena. But um, it's 2018, Andy. We're back. Took a break over the holidays that uh, I clearly announced to everybody. Um, <laughs> Andy Andy was like, hey, are we going to do anything? Um, and uh, the big news, Andy, the big news in Columbus, besides the fact that my Buckeyes beat Michigan again, thumped USC in the Cotton Bowl, and, um, and then upset the number one basketball team in the country, Michigan State, uh, of which... I'm married a Michigan state fan, so that was glorious she's, <laughs> she's in the other room. Fan, an she's an alumni she announces okay so the the big news I mean that's a lot of news, but the big news today, Andy Bear, is that for the first time in two weeks, our temperature is thirty three degrees, one degree above freezing. It has been andy it has been it has been awful. it has been horrific. I have not I thought. I knew what cold was. I thought I had memories of what cold was like, but I mean, we're talking we're talking temps in the single digits, wind chills in the negatives. Andy Bear, Andy Bear, why did you let me go? <laughs> why? I blame you. Okay. Why did you not tell wow. me of this? Why did you not tell me? And 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 I have friends. One in particular in Columbus who who said who said to me with a straight face, yeah, it doesn't get super cold and it never snows. And it's all I mean, we've had snow for two weeks and it's been super cold. And and I am I'm I'm fed up, Andy. The lies. <laughs> the I, lies. I'm fed up with the lies. You lied to yourself
1: but, and others lied to you.
0: Yes. <laughs> so so that's the big news. That's the big news in Columbus. How are you? How was your uh how was your holiday?
1: Um yeah, it was okay. It was okay. All right. All right. Yeah. Had, had some well, bumps, but we're, uh, you know, it was like seventy-five degrees here, I think, around Christmas time, and I yeah, think see, that's weird. I think we're facing our cold front right now, which is like, I think it's maybe like fifty-five outside. <laughs> oh my, <laughs> um, good lord! Yeah, so yeah
0: poor guy i'm sorry about sorry about the bumps one of those is that your kitchen is is uh, temporarily in your garage
1: yes one yeah one one of the many um appliance failures see we had multiple single appliances going down dryer fridge and then the kitchen the whole kitchen decided to go down with a leak and so half of it got ripped out and we had to move um kind of build a glamping kitchen inside of our garage now here so it's uh
0: yeah so if you
1: think you have it bad out there internet let Andy tell you. Yeah, try, try living with the family on a, uh, a two-burner camping stove and <laughs> see how that goes. Oh. The only thing
0: I have that comes close to that is we can no longer leave beverages out sitting out in the garage because they, they freeze. freeze and explode. Yeah. Uh, I'd forgotten about that little tidbit.
1: So what do you have to do? You just put them in the fridge because the fridge
0: normalizes nope, the temperature? No, the fridge, the fridge, they freeze in the fridge. Oh, Okay. So I had a bottle of uh or a can of diet Pepsi, caffeine free, aspartame free, mm. by the way. Um Still Pepsi. Explode. I know. Not not good. <laughs> but explode in our refrigerator because the refrigerator uh got I don't know froze up or did whatever. I mean uh, this is yeah. Andy people are not meant for this. Right? <laughs> what? Well, I guess So not. so Oprah's going to run for president now. So oh, yeah. very very excited about that. Wait, she did she, her did she last actually night.
1: say in her speech that she would or, or was it I miss I missed the speech. I just I caught uh, it like I a think, snippet of it.
0: Oh, I think um it's more the reaction of people to it. Got it. And other people in Oprah Circle saying she'd be open to it that all of a sudden, you know, are like and I and I had a, I had a buddy who um, who lives here named Matt. Um he uh he had a really interesting take on the whole one of the consequences of Donald Trump's presidency is now that we'll never have just a, a pure kind of career politician right. ever be president again. So now we'll bounce mm. back and forth between just celebrities because celebrity is of of course the new kind of social currency. Yeah. And um and so Trump now that Trump has kind of broken that border. Um, you're not surprising people like The Rock, um, you know Oprah. But
1: uh, it, it, or do we blame Arnie for that though? Because I mean, technically, well, oh, obviously presidency. Obviously, it's the first president. But was there? Yeah, but you had uh, Reagan. Yeah, Reagan really would have been the first. Yeah, so he was true. old
0: school Hollywood.
1: Old school, yeah, right, right. But now, new school Hollywood versus old school Hollywood is night and day. I but
0: mean, see, I mean, but even Reagan, I mean, went through legislature, governorship. And then the nomination, right? Whereas Trump just said, oh, "I'm going to run for president," right? You know, yep. and Oprah, o- Oprah could do it and win because of the anti-Trump sentiment that's coming, right? Or that's here or whatever. Yeah. So it's just a it's just a fascinating little deal at the Golden Globes. Um, <laughs> uh, it's just it's just it's so interesting, Andy Bear. So got a couple things for us to uh, digest that I've been saving up. Wow from from uh, from the end of the year. Um, one of them you guys had some uh some big time, big time uh fires. <laughs> and I mean it was it was actually quite quite nasty. I mean I can't imagine um the you know, the the smoke, the oh, pollution, oh. the
1: real time yeah. fires, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, big time. Saying, yeah, figurative. No, we uh yeah. Fires the our fire season was unbelievable. I mean, what what was it, the San Francisco or the um Dang it. The Santa Barbara one is now like the second biggest cal- fire in California history, I guess. Right. Now? Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's bad.
0: So, so um, somebody on my Facebook feed um, posted a picture. You know the picture of the 405 as it was going into the hills and it was just all on fire. I mean we totally looked yeah Yeah, right, right around the
1: Getty. Yeah, yeah. Yep, I yeah. reposted that one.
0: So so that picture was posted with this um with this interaction so this person s- says i was speaking with our pastor today and mentioned that i've been praying about the fires in california to which the pastor said perhaps god is giving california liberals a glimpse of what their eternity will look like oh and <laughs> and i thought man these people if you want a snapshot of what it looks like to make jesus beautiful that's it <laughs> that is it <laughs> Make sure you divide the world into good guys and bad guys. And the bad guys are liberals. They're not, they're not atheists. They're not murderers. They're not child molesters, although they're included, I'm sure. Yeah, but
1: because they're probably but, all liberals.
0: Exactly. <laughs> yeah, make sure your, your politics, uh, it, I mean, one of the, the great quotes, I, I don't remember who it was. It was like Anne Lamont or somebody like that who was saying the surest sign that you've created a God in your own image is when your God hates everyone you do. Ooh, And yeah, that's good. And and it was one of those like I, I read that and I was seriously like I I just I, you know I, I'm sure this pastor is wonderful and loves Jesus but um what what a horrific thing to say because yeah. because think about it multiple levels first first okay so that means that means then that natural disasters are from God right. Mm-hmm. And and then, well, what happens when God strikes a very conservative state? So when Houston was flooded, right, uh, with that huge hurricane, mm-hmm. right? Don't you have to make them the same judgment? Yeah, that 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 God is giving those conservatives a taste of Noah and the Ark or something. I mean, what? Right. It, it's absolutely ridiculous.
1: And strange how oh. no li- liberal Christians basically made the same claim. You know, I, I didn't I didn't come across that anywhere. <laughs> no, it's just. I just couldn't believe it. I had to. I had to just remark on it for a second
0: because it's so. To me, it's a snapshot of the kind of mindset that is holding much of evangelicalism hostage. Uh, that mm-hmm. siege mentality, yep. that um, that you know bifurcation of the world into only liberals and only conservatives, no cognitive complexity, like Tim talked about mm-hmm. um, about what the other views that people have or whatever. I mean, it's just it's just the absolute wedding of conservative politics and um, and evangelical Christianity, and it just. I'm so fed up with it. I can hardly stand it. And, and again, I mean, I'm guilty of my own stuff. I don't. I don't stand uh, from a position of, you know, like flawlessness in terms of idols. I got. I got plenty. But mm-hmm. um, it just. But it just seems like there's this massive blind spot, um, and I'm sure there are others. But that that really gets in the way of of people seeing Jesus for the beautiful person that he is. You know what I mean? If, 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 if our religion leads us to believe that, that, or or leads other people to think that somehow you've got to be a conservative in order to follow Jesus. I mean, we've, we've, we've kind of missed the boat a little bit. I think we're, yeah, we're in trouble. (laughs) Another, another thing, another thing came up, Andy, that I know you're going to love. And, um, so the headline and, 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 sometimes this, I'm just Sorry. I'm just sorry, but the, these are real things that people write, and, and 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 anyway, this got a lot of attention. It was it was uh, I think the title of it was "Husbands Correct Your Wives."
1: <laughs> oh, so you know, this was, was this on the the Gospel Coalition? Of course. Yeah. Of course. I didn't read the article. I saw um, uh, Stephanie Drury repost it, and I didn't. I didn't read it because I was just like, I'm just gonna get pissed if I read this. So oh no! Then,
0: <laughs> it was it was awesome. It was awesome. So we're
1: so I just figured you know just to kind
0: of warm us up for the new year, Andy. Oh good. In the hope that my wife hears every word of this podcast. Yeah, here's your
1: top ten marriage hacks for 2018.
0: That's right. So the <laughs> first one, hack number one is don't be afraid to correct your wife. Okay? So I want to go through this article. And, and you know, I mean, I'm sorry. I know there are better things we can do with our time. But, <laughs> but I, I, theology has consequences. You know what I mean? And one of the consequences of seeing um, uh, the world as if gender differences are hardwired into um the universe in such a way that so so marriages can only look a certain way jobs can only look a certain way i I mean i just think i think we've really missed it so so this is kind of our playful attempt at interacting with this isn't like an academic article or anything but this was actually put out on the interwebs where um the the vox roving eye is always watching um (laughs) So, so uh, here it begins. It begins with a, uh, you know, one of those like arresting anecdotes. It was one of those unexpected, honest, and painful moments during casual conversation with an older friend. We started talking about my marriage. I asked for his thoughts. Paragraph break. Single paragraph with one sentence. <laughs> well, you don't challenge your wife enough. I was completely off, caught off guard by his honesty, but he was right, and I knew it something had to change. It's crystal clear. God calls husbands to be instruments of His sanctifying work in their lives. Now, he's going to use the word sanctification a lot. For those of you not familiar with that, you know, big religious word, there, there is in Christian theology, a distinction between what happens when Jesus rescues us Um, And then what happens when Jesus starts transforming us uh, into his image. And so when he rescues us, that's called salvation or redemption or justification. It's got a whole bunch of names. But the process where he starts refining us and shaping us into his likeness is called sanctification. So this gentleman is saying God calls husbands uh, to be instruments of His sanctifying work in the lives of our wives. So God is the ultimate sanctifier, but husbands have a part to play in this. And he quotes from Ephesians, a, a, a passage we've looked at before. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he, Jesus, might sanctify her, the church, having mm-hmm. cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Okay, so that's a whole bunch of stuff. But, he, but the analogy is, well, Jesus did it to his church. Husbands, you should do this to your wives. Who so even says this, just as Jesus set his church apart from sin through his sacrificial loving death on the cross, husbands are to do everything in their power to promote their wives' holiness. This can take many forms. We can pray for our wives, read the Bible with our wives, make space for them to pursue meaningful relationships with other women. Um, I'm glad the wife has no initiative in all of this. I mean, in <laughs> the way he's framing the conversation thus far, it's it's... You know, h- encourage them to pursue meaningful relationships. You know, read the Bible with them. You know, it's like they're t- th- like children. Right, date. right. They're constantly running the other way, so this is how you got to get at back. At times, at times, Andy, <laughs> this will include correction. Mm-hmm. We all still fight with sin. We all need to be progressively sanctified. Even the most Christ-like wives will sometimes need an honest, loving word to get back on course. Did you hear that, Justy? <laughs> <laughs> By virtue of the closeness we share with our wives, husbands are uniquely positioned by God to play this role. This is much easier to do in theory than in practice. Ooh. Duh? No Duh. kidding. No kidding. <laughs> no kidding. All right. So then he says husbands will make mistakes in one of two directions. First direction is that we'll be angry. So some of you, perhaps aided by your upbringing and temperament, count it all joy to correct others. You may feel like it's your obligation. Um, uh, I remember one guy who, under the umbrella of headship and submission, was routinely giving his wife correction laced with frustration. He was in violation of Paul's command, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. When we behave like this, we're executing wrath on our wives that Jesus has already absorbed. Even when we're right about the need for correction, we're often wrong in its application. Uh, so, so, so one danger is on the anger side, the active side. The other one is passivity, and this is you, Andy. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> more common in our day. Is the tendency for Christian husbands to remain silent, like I did. Timid guys have the reasons too. If you were raised in a home where you felt pressure to be perfect, to learn to appease an angry parent, silence is one natural response. If your wife struggles with listening, this may also tempt you to be quiet. You hearing this? My wife's in the, my wife's in the other room. <laughs> And she's listening, or, or or maybe oh, did you hear that? Yeah. Dang, she doesn't she doesn't sound happy. Or maybe you feel that challenging your wife would just add another burden to her plate. Silent types appear much nicer than the critical counterparts, but timid husbands are motivated not by their wives' holiness or God's glory, but by preserving their own kingdom—a kingdom where kingdom peace, however false, reigns. So, so, and then he talks about how, you know, you can waffle between these two approaches. Paul shows us, he's back to the article, Paul shows us what marriage is all about. Man shall leave his father, mother, hold fast to his wife, two will become one flesh. The mystery is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So marriage, and we've talked about this before, is a picture of the gospel. So uh, our one flesh marriages point beyond themselves to so the relationship that Christ has with us, his church. The gospel and our marriages should illustrate uh, each other, in fact, the way we treat our wives reveals what we believe about the gospel. Um, if we find ourselves correcting with anger, it shows we haven't truly internalized uh, the massive grace we've received. On the other hand, if we stay silent, it shows we really don't believe that God rescued us to make us holy. Um, Those are the only two so,
1: outcomes, by the way.
0: <laughs> so so he gives us four practical pr- principles. Some of you may be thinking, I'm feeling convicted, but how do I do this? Um repent, learn when to speak, consider, consider your timing. Um, uh, he says, recently I challenged my wife when I was angry and it showed tempting her to respond defensively. Oh, really? Be a student. Um, and, uh, like us, one day our wives will meet Jesus and be perfect without splot, splot, Spot or wrinkle or any such thing, holy and without blemish, but until that day until death to us part, part husbands have the staggering privilege of getting our wives ready for Jesus their true husband all right, so Andy bear um, uh, I think that this article is more for you than for anybody um,
1: <laughs> Mike, I am convicted what do I do yes what do I do well Andy
0: no so so a couple of a couple of thoughts so. This comes out of, obviously, a very – and we've talked – we've used these words before. So he comes out of a very complementarian view of uh, male-female relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, notice there is utterly no room for the wife to correct the husband, at least in this article, um, which which seems absolutely ridiculous.
1: I think it, and you know, it, it hints at it, but it's not – it's like become a student and learn to listen better and know when to not make her defensive. How do you do that without listening and letting them correct – you like that right i'm yeah there's like instructions here that okay go on (laughs) yeah
0: i mean he says in general we should speak up when we notice sinful patterns or isolated examples of serious sin god certainly doesn't correct us at every turn so we shouldn't nitpick our wives either so uh, yep so so all that is to say all that is to say i think yes the door is open but it's never explicitly given permission right Right. For, for wives to correct us, for wives to be instruments of sanctification. In fact, marriage, I mean, and, and here's this, a big drop. I mean, marriage itself is something that sanctifies husband uh, and wife, right? In, right? in the process of learning to live together, serve one another. And that is, that is the bigger part of Paul's point. The biggest problem I have with this, other than the sheer asinine idea <laughs> that this is only one way. Yeah. I mean, God, my goodness, my goodness, God's desire for male female relationships is expressed in Genesis 1 and 2, and it's not the man exercising authority and correcting the woman. Uh and and we've talked about this, so I won't go on a rant at, at this point, but it's just fascinating. This theology has massive consequences. How e mm-hmm. how easily could this freaking be abused? Oh, yeah. Right? It's my job, my job before Christ to pres- to preserve present you to Christ ready for him. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. I mean, and, and the problem with this is there's some truth in here. I mean, the Bible does talk about husbands sanctifying your wives. The Bible does talk about um uh uh, love your wives in a way, um, knowing that you'll stand before Jesus, mm-hmm. um, being held accountable for how you did that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, but I don't, you know, I just don't, I don't see all this spiritual leader stuff. You've got to treat her as a child. You've got to, I mean, I, I just don't, I just don't see that. But the mm-hmm. bigger issue, Andy Bear, the bigger issue is the, is the absolute either ignoring or ignorance of what Roman culture was like in those days. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Uh-huh. Right? Because, I mean, oh my goodness. I mean, the, the minor point that well, God is the one that sanctifies and uses all kinds of people to do that, yes. Mm-hmm. But but uh, the issue in, in, in Roman relationships is one of power. Um, the man had all the power in the relationship we've talked about this the man mm-hmm. was the head of the household in, in a way that could be invoked to life and death sentences mm-hmm. um, in, 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 a, in a in a way that that uh, even grown male children had to respond in submission to the oldest male uh, the oldest father of the family mm-hmm. I mean it's it, it's it, 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 we, we you can't overstate like how ingrained this was women women were um, you know, considered inferior. Men had more legal rights and protections than women. They were considered uh, physically and intellectually superior. Um, there, there. So, so what? Paul, the analogy Paul is making isn't because um, nowhere, nowhere in this passage does Paul turn loving self-sacrifice into correcting your wives. Yeah, I, I don't see it. Instead, the how you would have read this is that Christ gave up power. Yeah. He humbled himself. This is the the Philippians two thing, um, where Paul most clearly articulates. But I think it's embedded all throughout Ephesians five, where what Christ did was sacrifice himself and gave himself up, mm-hmm. and it was that sacrificial self. It was that self sacrificial love. That was the, the determining characteristic of, of how husbands were to treat wives. And in that culture, that was absolutely staggering. Hey, Seth, do yeah. you want to say hi? Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, Seth, it's a, our first snow day today, by the way. Yeah. So Seth is home today.
1: Yeah.
0: Just hi, so, Seth. Hi. Can you hi. say hi, everybody?
1: Hi, buddy. Say hi, Internet. Hi, <laughs> Internet. Say happy. Happy.
0: 20 18 Happy New Year! Happy New Year! Should we sing We Wish You a Merry Christmas? No, no, you want to sing Jingle Bells? <laughs> no. How about Happy Birthday? No, how about uh, You Love Your Daddy? No, no, okay, can Daddy keep going? Yes, okay, Daddy loves you, yeah. all okay, right, come on, buddy. all right, buddy. Oh, are you gonna okay? Thanks, mama. Mm-hmm. Are we watching Newsies?
1: <laughs> back back Oh, wreck it, Ralph. Sorry. Wow. Oh, man. Okay. You know, and, and in that—and um, um, we've talked about this before a little bit, and so I don't—I I, want to be careful with what I say here because I think there's some nuance to it. But if we're looking at Jesus and his self-sacrificial nature towards the church and towards—if we're looking, if we want to transpose that to male and female relationships in marriage— there's this idea of Jesus taking on the sin of the world, as far as taking responsibility for it before God, as a way to like mediate and to save. And whereas, even if if you draw, if, even if you drew a straight line to that idea to say that maybe like a woman's mistakes and the sins of her lives, we take them on as husbands as a kind of before God. Even then, if that was true. I don't think then what you're doing is then correcting your wife all the time because you're saying like, well, I'm taking all responsibility for every, all the mistakes that you're making. So I'm right. now left with this responsibility to correct you about it. Like Jesus didn't even do that. You know, it was rather he took on the sacrifice and then still humbly and gracefully, you know, presented the, the a perfect way to then say, now go as I have gone, you know, and follow into this in which you'll find that freedom. And I have no doubt no
0: doubt that Jesus obviously corrects us. Paul corrects us. The right. scriptures correct us. God corrects us. So, yes, of course, husbands correct your wives. But good Lord, wives correct your husbands too. I mean, what in the world? Yeah. I mean, this just blows. See, this is a, I, I think, my personal opinion is this is a great example of reading a theology into a text wow. where, wow. where I, you know the the power differential between husbands and wives. There would have been no nobody in the first century would have looked at husbands submit to, or wives submit to your husbands and had a problem with that. Mm-hmm. Of course, wives submit to your husbands. That's what they're there for. Absolutely. That that we miss when we do just shoddy stuff like this, we miss the absolutely staggering nature of the the invitation of Paul to treat their wives as equals. That's Mm -hmm. the point. Paul even says it later in the passage. Treat your wife as you would treat your own body, Mm -hmm. right? You would nourish it and feed it and care for it. Under Roman law, husbands only had to provide the opportunity for children and shelter, Um, For their wives. They did not have to provide date nights, marriage retreats, uh, love languages. I mean, nothing, (laughs) nothing like that. So when Paul spends almost double the amount of time addressing husbands, and the biggest command he gives them is to love your wives, Mm -hmm. right? Of course, of course, love includes correction. No question about it, but to elevate that one point out of the whole text, and then to make it exclusively, and maybe he doesn't think this, but at least it comes across his way in the article, to make it exclusively the domain of men, and then to add the spiritual component that, well, you do this to prepare her for Jesus, yeah. Now, let's talk about how Jesus was correcting people then, if if you're going to say, no, 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 we this is part of how we get people ready for Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the same Jesus that said, before you correct anybody, you look at your sin as a freaking plank in your own eye, and hers is a speck yeah. of dust, right? This is the Jesus that talks about, do not condemn, or you will be condemned, right? Mm. I mean, this, so so I just, I think, wow, what uh, what a crazy piece of work. I'm sure this is a fine person who loves Jesus and loves his wife and loves the scriptures, but I just, I, I think, I think, I think theology like this has consequences. And in w- where our world is waking up to the, the, the tremendous upheaval of, of the power differential between men and women in Hollywood, Mm -hmm. men and women in business, men and women in the church. Mm. I mean, this stuff is so freaking tone deaf, I can hardly stand it, let Mm -hmm. alone it doesn't present accurately what I think the real issue Paul is speaking at. He's not talking about husbands, correct your wives. He's talking about husbands, treat them as equals. Yeah. And... and. And, and that's not even addressed in here. Yeah. So, so anyway, I get, I get fussy and I've got better things to do in my life. But it's one of those things where if we're not careful, um, this stuff not only hurts Christian marriages, but it, it so compromises our witness um, uh, to the world. Yeah. um because because I mean it, this we, we don't live in the same culture that that Paul wrote Ephesus 2 or Ephesians 2 right I mean we don't we don't live in the same we live in a way more egalitarian culture mm-hmm. um and and divorce laws reflect that um inheritance laws reflect that men do not have um, more legal rights than women, at least that I'm aware of, uh, and so to come in on on that conversation and insist that men uniquely have an obligation to sanctify their wives is if
1: they needed the help. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, I don't know. I just think this is yeah. it in a
0: bunch of different ways.
1: It's true to me. It's tricky to not um, not feel like. You know, America specifically hasn't come outrageously that much farther, though. Yes, you're right. In, in certain levels of government, w- you know, women are significantly more expressed as equals among us as citizen citizenship. But when you look at how outrageous rape culture is, you look at how outrageous, like, I mean, come on. If we're looking at the back end, yeah. or, you know, in, we're in the midst of everything happening around Me Too. And it's not because we've been living in a culture that's basically praised women as equal. Right. You know, so right. it's like in so many ways, I still feel the toxicity of that kind of the all that kind of doctrine, even for now, because it's like you take however deep that stems. I mean, come on, what we're looking at here is potentially stuff that's happened for 50 or 40 years that's now just hitting the surface. I mean, Bill Cosby, 54 allegations of rape. Right. I mean, this isn't like. That's not peanuts. Even if, sorry, I was watching the Dave Chappelle special and he was dropping stats on it. That it was for one, it's it's crazy. Maybe don't watch it. But he's like, listen, even if it was thirty less women, it's still two dozen. Right. You know, it's like, right. it's kind of like, oh my now, gosh, like. Now
0: I want to be careful, but I want to be careful. Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Keep going.
1: You still had more. Yeah, I mean, all I'm saying is that it's just that. My point is this: is there are seeds of heavy patriarchy coming out of the mid-century, from the '50s and the '60s, and I feel like we're just starting to see some of the like very sub, like submergent effects of that that are playing out in our social culture. Yep. So yep. my fear is that, based on how influential this kind of doctrine can be for certain type of men in our own day, how deep that might stem into other systems to come, and so or or that we're currently still in. So I'm just it's just that's what to me is a little bit scary. And about. And how much has been displayed in the church about mm-hmm. sexual assault, yeah. rape culture, purity culture? I mean, you're just like, are you kidding me? Right. Well, just so, yesterday, I read about whatever High Point Church and like this, you know, that youth pastor, Memphis. That, yes, yep. in Memphis, you know, assaulted that his, that 17 year old girl and has been buried for what 15 years and now 20 years. Dudes coming out, yeah. So.
0: Right. right but but so but we have to be really careful because what we're not saying is hey the culture is egalitarian so we should be egalitarian too all right we're not saying that I'm saying I'm saying several things first I think the scripture teaches um, that men and women should be equals in every way of course there are differences between men and women but those differences do not reflect uh, predetermined roles in marriage business culture and world right Yes. Um, uh, So, so I read that I'm coming to that text, but I think this text shows that rather than showing the, the correcting part. Secondly, I think the article is poorly written. The theology is poorly done just because it reads a theology into a text. And I I agree Mm -hmm. that I'm capable of that like anybody else. Um, but I don't think that's the point of the text. I think the point of the text is making the exact opposite point that this person would want it to make. Um, but but I, I also think Paul gave instructions to men and women, to husbands and wives and slaves and masters, not as universal proclamations of roles, but for missionary purposes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we've talked a ton about this, right? Yeah. Head coverings. Be so be silent. I mean, these are missionary impulses to help the the gospel win a hearing in culture. Mm-hmm. And and so to to you know, to not reflect in your thinking the difference between the culture and the missionary impulse into that patriarchal culture versus the missionary impulse into this egalitarian culture, I think really, I, I think it is the point we're trying to make. That if you're trying to get, if you're trying to get, uh, to give the gospel a hearing in a culture where there is a massive upheaval, um, because men have abused their position um, in so many ways, mm-hmm. and um, that to come out and give a theology for that could be could be uh, used to help justify um, some of that
1: thinking, I just think is man, I think is
0: yeah. really irresponsible.
1: Hey, do me a favor, say that. Um, say what you just said again. Say it a little bit in more kind of like more basic terms because I think I love what you're saying. Cause that is the point of what we're saying um, I, for other people out there who might be kind of hearing this, that, I think that might've gone over their head, but because what, I think what you're saying is absolutely key, but like maybe, which, which part, just the idea that like, you know, when Paul is speaking to those cultures, these are missionary elements, not setting a universal standard for therefore here and for eternity. Correct. So like yes. kind of what's a, explain what that might look like maybe differently, like in our, okay. our culture oh, now yeah. or yeah. Like, yeah, we did a, we did a podcast
0: where we use the example of Let's say you are a Jesus follower. And you are not wanting to, you know, be an imperial... Activist, you know, in a Muslim culture, but to, to show Muslim women their dignity and worth, to show Muslim men a different way to be masculine, uh, to introduce the idea that Jesus is beautiful. Let's say you go with that kind of heart to a, a Muslim uh, country, a very conservative Muslim country. Mm-hmm. Uh, if Paul were writing to Christians in that context, he would tell them to wear the garb uh, that is acceptable and considered appropriate in that culture. Right? So Paul's instructions uh, about wearing head coverings, about women being silent in churches are not universal uh, statements about men and women forever. And this is where I really disagree with the hermeneutic of some of my complementarian friends. Um, I think they are missionary... What sits behind them is the missionary impulse. So is the gospel of Jesus, the message of Jesus will offend the status quo, yes, but Mm. you want it to offend the core parts of the status quo, not the superficial parts of the status quo. Mm. In other words, is the battle, do I want to fight the battle in a Muslim country as a woman? Do I want to fight the head covering battle? Or am I willing to wear head covering even though I know I'm free? I don't have to. My relationship with Jesus declares that I'm free and I don't need head coverings to be acceptable to God, but I but I constrain that freedom for the sake of giving the gospel a hearing mm-hmm. in a Muslim culture, right? This is what Paul says when he says, uh, to, to everyone, I become like everyone, right. right? To a Jew, I become like a Jew. Uh, to a Gentile, I become like a Gentile, right? right? To those under the law, I become like one under the law, although I am not myself under the law anymore. I mean, so this is what, and, and I think this is the part that is missed, in, in most most of these conversations that what Paul, Paul is first and foremost a missionary mm-hmm. and missionaries approach these things way different, way differently than people running institutions. Right. Um, right. Uh, so, so what Paul's doing is he's saying, listen, there are things if, if, if it, if it promotes making Jesus beautiful to not drink in a situation, I will not drink. Mm-hmm. I don't drink because I'm not allowed to. But right. I do it for the sake of promoting the beauty of Jesus. If it promotes Jesus to drink, then I have a beer.
1: Right.
0: Right? I have a drink. I mean, we were, we were over, over the holidays uh, with, a, with a wonderful family um, uh, that we've met through our school. He runs an Irish pub. And his, the common ground was his introducing me to all sorts of Irish, like whiskey and scabby stuff I've never heard of, never tasted. I'm a Coors Light guy, (laughs) Um, which he didn't mock too bad. Um, but but you know to build a relationship with him, I'm trying some stuff that just tastes horrific. I mean it was
1: it was awful. It was absolutely awful. It's not only do you not really drink very complex beers, you also don't drink hard alcohol. So no, never. even, like grow your palate towards multiple types no. of Irish whiskey is I mean no no it was I and I kept
0: telling him like don't waste this good stuff. <laughs> I, I'm not but. Now, again, the, the beauty of Jesus doesn't hinge on that, but they knew I was a pastor, and um, and and I've had to fight that stereotype. You know, you were there when one of my neighbors came over and said, oh, my goodness, we brought you some beer to say hello, but yeah. I heard you were a pastor. I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, right? I mean, right. come on. So, so there's the sense in which I feel like in those settings... Uh, and I told Nate this because Nate, because Nate and I had a great conversation about it because um, the dad cussed a lot in front of his kids, and his kids were really little. Nate was actually offended by this. Mm-hmm. He's like, "Why would he use those words in front of his kids?" And so we had this great missionary kind of talk. I'm like, "Listen, in, in that context, it's not my job to parent his kids, and it's not my job to take offense. My job um, is to get to know him as a person without an agenda, to to extend hospitality." To receive hospitality, to ask him about his life, and 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 then to participate as far as I can go into what his interests are. So right. his interest was drinking. Yeah. So we talk about whiskey. My my point is, and maybe this is a horrific example, and I'm using the word horrific a lot, but it, it can, <laughs> That's the the word that comes to mind when I look at my weather app. Okay, and that's why it's so fresh. <laughs>
1: Dang it! You know, it's like, you know, but that's the whole thing. The analogy isn't that far off because that's that's why I need to hear well, that. I think we all need to hear is helping to realize that. I think the farther down the line you become institutionalized, you end up on the side of stances versus on the sides of like where Paul really is out on this stuff. Yeah. Like keeping yeah. that missional context and the idea of like, I mean, it's the fact alone that exactly what you just said with that verse of like, to Jews, I become a Jew to one under the law, I become under the law, although I'm not under the law. I mean, it's all of it because like, I need it. Like, look at Jesus. Jesus. And, and right. that was Jesus. That's why. I mean, now, not in some ways, but in the same way that Jesus was accused of being with sinners and that was basically a cardinal, you know, social and political exactly. sin among the Jews. Right. Jesus saw the necessary of stooping down with, them for the sake of this is so that they can come see on the andy you can't do it from an ivory tower and from an institution so, so it has so. but learning how to walk in that and being able to walk in that i mean obviously that's significantly more challenging it's way easier to stand by your tribe be all in on your identity and then basically you know criticize everybody else because you know someone else accepts your view and you'd rather just hang out with them anyways right and that's right. a poison i think of where our culture is at and i, and I think it is some of the dangers of of exactly what we're talking about with this other so article one last as well.
0: thing so when Paul is giving instructions to wives and husbands and children and fathers and slaves he's echoing a convention that was very Greek right so Aristotle uh, taught that house a, a running household was a in miniature what um, should run like a country like a, the state he would call mm-hmm. it um, in miniature and so the the household had to be properly govern- governed and if every household was properly governed then the state would be properly governed governed as well. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of emphasis in Greek and Roman thinking about household codes. Mm. So Paul is echoing household codes and I believe one of the things he's doing is he's showing he's in, he's instructing these Christians who now have an intoxicatingly new amount of freedom. Right. They've been liberated, particularly women, from the from the household codes. But he's instructing them to still keep them, so that the gospel may gain a hearing in a world that thought those were the most important things. Mm-hmm. And while and we've talked about this before, and it, while he's doing that, he's planting the seeds for the eventual overthrow of those systems. Right. So in calling husbands in Ephesians 5, read the whole passage. The point the point that Paul is making in that Ephesians 5 passage is not husbands, correct your wives. The point he is making is husbands, give up your power for the sake of your wife and in so doing, you imitate Christ and his sacrifice for the church. Mm-hmm. In fact, treat her as an equal in a culture that says she's inferior. Right. Right. So so that's the seed of revolution while at the same time saying hey wives submit to your husbands as unto the lord respect your husbands right i mean that's yeah. so so we got to go yeah maybe I, I i didn't realize how fired up i was but i like this <laughs> i like
1: this for for 2018 i yeah, like you, it so you, far you skipped 3 weeks of podcasting and this is what this is what i had happens. pent up energy yeah i had you know. pent up energy yeah i like did a teenage boy <laughs> wow
0: wow speaking of that nate has a girlfriend but that's a different story okay all right may the lord bless you and keep you may the lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you may the lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace oh and and okay we'll cover this later sorry to interrupt our blessing but I, i just thought of something we'll cover later love you andy love you internet love you earth That's all I got. Yep. Until next time, brothers and sisters.
1: Hey, thanks for listening to the Vox Podcast. Learn more about us at voxpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at the Vox Podcast. And now support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash voxpodcast.